Welcome to Oral Phonic, a podcast about podfic. This month's topic is about anime fandom and the podfic in anime fandom. Your hosts this month are Hana Nabira, Kitsune Hart, and Padika. So we've got two new voices yet again this month. But we have heard Kitsune Hart's voice before because she did the My Little Pony episode for us.、Mm-hmm. So it is great to have you back on a more permanent basis. And welcome to Hanana Bira. Hi. It'll be great. Do you want to jump straight into news? Well, I guess I'm the one who brought up Podfic Big Bang signups are going. Okay, so it's just going to be one Podfic Big Bang. There will not be an epic Podfic Big Bang like they did last year. And signups are going now, and posting will begin in October. The usual requirement so they're looking for fanfics, which are at least 10,000 words. And of course, you can go for much, much longer than that if, if you wish. Podfic Bingo is still going on. You can sign up anytime you want through December 31st, and they'll give you a bingo card with prompts like record lying down or Read while crying or read while drunk or something, and you you have to find podfics to record to to get bingo on your bingo card. And it's been a lot of fun the past few years, and I've done it. So if you wanted to sign up for that, it's just podfic bingo at dreamwit.org. And Cantarina has been talking about planning a podfic broken telephone challenge, which sounds very intriguing, and more information. Is coming with signups slated for early July. So keep your eyes peeled for that. There is also、uh, another person, Rindle, who's recently started creating a website with a list of searchable blanket permission statements by fandom. And、uh, I don't remember the link off the top of my head, but it's fpslist.org. I think it stands for Fanish Permission Statement List. It's fpslist.org, and the Twitter is at fps underscore list. If you want to contact them and get your name on the list, or have your name removed from the list, or anything, do you want to do the Podvik beta reminder, Kitsune Heart? I actually do not know what that is. Oh, it's a Twitter account that you can send a tweet to if you need help finding a Podvik beta. And it's been around since podfication last year. It doesn't get too much traffic. I did get a tweet today asking for help, which I have retweeted. But if you guys would like the reminder that it is there, and you can either volunteer to listen to people's stuff and and give a beta critique, or you can ask for one for your own work. So. That is podfic underscore beta on Twitter. So we actually had quite a few talkbacks this month, like a lot. I was surprised. So the first one that we're going to talk about was from Schmaler, who had this to say. So this is actually a talkback related to your April episode,、uh, how platforms affect podfic. This is、uh, related to a very small part of that episode when you were talking about YouTube. You know, you were wondering if there were any podfickers did audio and also video recorded their faces. There's a site I've been following for a very long time now. It's called Mark Does Stuff, and the basic premise is that Mark will read a chapter of a book or watch an episode of a TV show, 
one at a time and then write a review of each chapter. And a whole big thing related to it is that it's always work that he's unfamiliar with. So he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And it's kind of reliving that experience of, of reading a book for the first time and getting someone's reactions to it, where he will read the chapters out loud and post them to YouTube. So you also kind of get the live reactions. And while it's typically just books, he will also sometimes do uh, fanfic, depending on if it's something that someone's requested. And so it's not really a podfic. Uh, you know, it's not, I don't think he's familiar with the term and uh, I, I, it's not intended as a podfic, but it is kind of like a podfic. It's fanfic read out loud, but the purpose isn't a, you know, polished version of the story. The purpose is the reactions and kind of that feeling of experiencing this story for the first time, which I think is you know, very different from what most podfickers are trying to do. We're trying to create a seamless audiobook type experience. But I think it's something that, you know, some podfickers might be interested in exploring or, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very different approach. It's one of those things where, like, you know, when I got into fandom, like, almost 15 years ago, I had a set of expectations in my head of, like, this is what fandom is. But fandom has just grown and expanded so much, especially recently, and it's gone mainstream in a lot of ways that there's just, like, so many more aspects to fandom that probably were existing before. Maybe not so publicly, but people were probably doing it before that are now part of fandom that don't necessarily mesh with my original idea of like, this is what fandom is, that it's it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just kind of always catches me a bit by surprise. I actually, uh, when I go to conventions, I have a panel that I present, which is, uh, it's called The Queer History of Fandom. Start of the panel is just a general overview of fandom history in general, starting with um, Star Trek zines and, yeah, VHS vids and things like that. The I almost feel like sliding scale of when fandom really should be considered to begin, because, you know, on the fanlore website, they tend to tout Star Trek as being one of the earliest fandoms. But if you look back, Sherlock Holmes yeah, had a I was gonna huge say, following. The thing is, fandom where you, like, talk about existing characters and make up your own stories about them. Like, it's been around forever. But I think the thing about Star Trek is that it was the start of what modern fandom is now. And it's kind of like that specific kind of fandom that, like, I'm more tightly identified with. I, I tend to shorten it as transformative works fandom, but I don't super love that title. And it's obviously very based on, like, the AO3 mantra and whatnot. But it's the people that are, like, writing fic and creating vids and falling in love with these characters and doing stuff with them beyond what the canon did, but in very specific ways. Or at least lurking and, like, consuming transformative Yeah, works, yeah. Maybe. Like, that's, yeah. that's a part of it for me. But, like, it's not that mm. one definition is right or wrong. It's just that there's a lot of different facets to fandom and your corner of fandom is not all of fandom type thing and I, they just sometimes they just kind of hide too like there aren't so many places that i'll have to search out for podfix especially because trying to find podfix for steven universe there's so little of it at this point 
And so you'll find maybe a little bit on YouTube, but half of what you find on YouTube is actually people who are reading supposedly bad fan fiction in a mean manner, which is kind of the somewhat icky part of being on YouTube for some fan stuff. It's definitely, I, I think the, uh, the level of meanness on YouTube is a little bit higher than other areas. Something I'm seeing pop up a on YouTube now also is a lot of fan theory videos. Um, yes. Which I feel like it's kind of an emerging section of, well, not well, emerging, but... Yeah, because they've been around for a long time, just not necessarily videoed. This is from at ZigZagLurkSwag. Hey, Oralphonic. My sister has a thing for listening to podcasts in 1.5 speed. Do you know of an easy way to do the same with Podfic? specifically on mobile. We're both iOS users, so we listen to podcasts in the podcast app, and it's really easy to listen in time and a half, not so much with Podfic. She's been looking for an app that would do it, but hasn't found anything super satisfying. Okay, uh, so I kind of have an answer, maybe, and it just depends on what version of iOS you have, what version of iTunes you have. Like, it might work for Mac, but not Windows, because Apple keeps changing it, and it drives me nuts. But one technique that sometimes works is if you go into iTunes and select the file and you say, get info, and then somewhere in the info box, it'll say media type music, and you change it from music to audiobook, and then sync it to your phone. And then depending which version you have, the audiobooks play in either the music app or the iBooks app. But if your phone recognizes it as an audiobook, it should show you a little speed button that'll let you speed it up or slow it down. Like I said, I can't guarantee unless I know exactly which version you're on because they keep changing it, but but that might be a really easy solution to the problem. Then also on the app store, there are, if you do a search for like audio speed changer, there are a lot of free apps and you can just try until you find one that works for you. Yeah, and so I do not have iPhone or iOS. I do use Android, however, and there is an app that I absolutely adore it's called smart audiobook player and it's a very simple uh looking interface but it gives you a lot of control over how you listen to things it has playback speeds going from 0.5 speed all the way to 2.5 x speed uh, and going up in 0.1 increments and so when i'm listening to audiobooks and podfic i'm not stuck with struggling to listen at you know 2.0 speed or finding 1.5 too slow so i can really figure out exactly the speed i want the one caveat for this is that they do all need to be in mp3 format so you might need to convert things if you're wanting to use this and i do recommend if you're wanting to do a lot of conversions using FreeMake for converting pretty much any audio format into MP3, or also you can use the FreeMake audio converter to go from MP3 to M4A or AUG or anything like that. Okay, and next we got a question on Twitter from at JavaXCore. Do any bands do concept podfic or audiofic albums? I mean, once you're starting to talk about singing and whatnot, telling the entire story through song, 
that's starting to really blur the line between podfic and filk. Yeah, I know that, you know, within the Harry Potter fandom, there was a whole lot of Harry Potter-themed bands. Yeah, there was, like, there. Wizard Rock mm-hmm. was a whole thing. Wizard Rock. And uh, among the Homestucks, there was also several people who made music. And I cannot even tell you how big the My Little Pony music group is. And a fair number of them tell fairly interesting stories and fairly grim stories as well. I think there was a song that was very popular on Tumblr about a year ago um, called Discord. And I remember people being very angry when they realized it was actually a My Little Pony fan song. I'm pretty sure that if someone's doing like, they're doing like a whole concept album, they're probably more likely to call it Filk than Podfic which means it's probably not going to be found by the Podfic community unless you also happen to be in the Filk community or you're in a fandom where Filk is really huge and just on everyone's radar. It's not a band, but the question made me think of, um, since we're talking about anime and manga fandoms, I was going to talk later about drama CDs and image songs. So a lot of anime you know, after they finished making the series, but it was really popular and they want to make more money off of it, they'll have the voice actors do CDs. And some of them will be like drama CDs where it's just like an extra episode of the show, but it's kind of like a radio play. So it's all the characters' voices and sound effects. And then they'll also do image songs where each of the voice actors will sing a song in character. The first one I remember listening to way back in high school, and this is going to date me, is that Cardcaptor Sakura had a drama CD about Valentine's Day. And so each of the characters is talking about who they want to give chocolates to for Valentine's Day. And it is precious beyond words. And then there's some CDs with image songs where the characters are singing. So there's one about Yukito singing about like how much all he wants in life is to ride bicycles to the park with Toya and just sit under a tree and have a picnic lunch with him. And it's like the most adorable thing you've ever heard in your life. There's kind of a a Japanese equivalent to that, I guess. That's cool. I'm going to jump into the next couple talkbacks because they're kind of similar. Leetra left an audio talkback and had this to say. I found it really interesting because I'm not actually in the SGA fandom. But hearing you talk about all the fics and the tropes was great. I hadn't realized that SGA was so instrumental in creating all those tropes. I'm actually debating watching at least a few episodes now. I don't think Leecher was the only one who was kind of tempted. Love the Heaven also said, You guys plus one other general multi-fandom podcast I had been listening to last year makes me want to, like, watch Stargate Atlantis all these years late just so I can feel the excitement and fanishness. This was a very fun episode, even though I know nothing about the fandom. And Tipsy Kitty also seconded that. So as someone who did watch all of Stargate Atlantis, (laughs) it is fun to watch, but it's not actually an amazing show. (laughs) It has some amazing parts, but it's definitely one of those fandoms where... The fandom is what made it amazing more so than the canon. <laughs> Maybe ask somebody to recommend like their top 15 episodes and, and you're good. 
Because there was five seasons of it. And if you're like a super completionist, it was using all of the canon of the 10 season SG-1. And I think that's partly what made it popular. Like SG-1 had a fairly strong fandom going for it. But by the time it got big enough that it was like real, a lot of people were noticing it. They were like so many seasons in. Everyone's like, oh, that's so much to get caught up on. Especially since it started in the 90s and, you know, it wasn't always as easy to download things. (laughs) So by the time SGA came out, they're like, okay, fresh start. I can get in this Stargate franchise with, like, a new show and not have to worry about the old stuff. I remember all through college going to friends' dorm rooms and several of them just had the entire wall of the DVD sets of Stargate uh, SG-1 and Atlantis. And I would always look at them and be very intimidated. Like, it seemed like so much television to try and get caught up on. Yeah. Um, I've got all 17 seasons at home. Um, And then beyond that, there's like three Stargate movies, and I think I have all of them too. So that's a lot of canon. (laughs) It is so much canon. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that it's never happening unless it sh- shows up back on Netflix. I just I can't do that. The last audio talkback that we had was from Anapods, who had a whole heck of a lot to say because they just discovered the podcast and listened to like 15 episodes at once. Mm-hmm and send their general feelings on all of them. So as usual, you can listen to the entire talk back in its raw form. Um, we'll link to that. But here are some of the highlights. How do you do character voices? Like, do you have any technical tips on how to prepare your voice, how to keep it consistent from one recording session to the next, and uh, even how do you select the elements that you want to keep in your own voice? I I don't do a whole lot of recording, but I do have some podfix out there, and I'm actually really bad at switching between voices as I'm reading. So my process for recording is actually I first have to read through the fic and highlight each voice section a different color. So I'll read through and do the narration, and then I'll go back for each different voice and do each of their lines. For me, I tend to opt for doing accents, badly, badly do accents. Luckily, having everything for a voice all in one file does allow me to go back in and maybe tweak it a little bit or, you know, yeah, lower the pitch if I'm trying to do a male voice because I'm not very good at that. Uh, but then I have to go through the process of meshing everything in together. And it is a very long editing process, which is why I do not record very often. <laughs> more and more, I don't do character voices. I think the worst it got was my Toasterverse podfic, where I was trying to do like all of the Avengers. And then I hit Gambit and he was supposed to have this New Orleans accent. Yeah, Cajun accent. And uh, it didn't work. And then um, a couple months later for Podfic Bingo, I had to record something in an accent. So I tried to do a hockey player with a Russian accent. And that was just probably crossed the line into just outright offensive. And so I've mostly given up. (laughs) And it's just like, if I just put enough 
a long enough pause in between these two people. People will know it's two separate people. And then I don't have to try and remember how this one sounds versus the other one. I once kind of drove myself crazy trying to do voices. So my my short answer is I don't do voices either. Um, My longer answer is that I tend to focus on cadence more and like Mm -hmm. knowing that character more than actually trying to moderate my the pitch or whatever of my voice to sound like someone else. I feel like the best time I had a command of voices was when I was in American Idol fandom, but I made a ton of American Idol pod figs and I've never made that much for any other fandom. So you just kind of like, okay, this is how this character speaks and this is these are their rhythms or whatever. And that's generally what I stop at because I know that if I try to do like different pitches for everyone, I'm going to quickly run out of pitches that sound like an actual person and start sounding like a caricature. Like, no one reads like this. But that's where <laughs> I end up. <laughs> if you could do accents, it makes it way easier. Like, Faye J is amazing at that. We don't all have her talents. <laughs> and and then there's Opal Song as well. That I actually asked at one point how they do they do as I did, where they would record them differently. It's just no, they just read everything through. They're just they're a tank. Yeah. I I, I don't know how they do it. Opal Song is one of the Podfic robots of Podfic fandom. <laughs> there there's a group of them. Rena Jenkins? Opal Song and Rose Creighton are the resident Podfic robots. <laughs> uh, would we would we include Rhea three one four in that? Rhea is pretty solid. She does a lot of shorter stuff. It's not long. It's not often that she'll sit down and do a huge epic, but she does quite a lot of shorter stuff. Like, and Rhea's just been Podficking for forever, so they have like such a huge body of work. Anapods also had some advice for how to edit as you go in Audacity, which during one of our episodes we said wasn't really possible. So if you would like all of that information, you can listen to their talk back. They also said this about feedback. It's gonna sound strange, but I am of the very peculiar opinion that no feedback can actually be a good thing. There are two elements to this. First things first, nobody is saying anything. They don't have anything to say. They don't want to pipe up and say, hey, could you do this? Or I really liked that. I wish you could do more. That means they don't get a say in what you do. And that is true all the time. Like you don't owe anybody anything. But if you've got no feedback, then you can't even want to please people and try to guess what they want. You just have to go, I'm just going to do it. And the other thing is, well, nobody is listening or virtually no one is listening. Then that means that you can fuck up all you want. No one is hearing it, right? So feel free to experiment all you want and you can only have a positive impact Specifically to what Anna was saying, like, I don't think anyone really goes into Podfic fandom for the feedback, because they're not going to last very long if they do. 
don't know. I used to think that I would be okay with no feedback, but it actually, when I went from being in fandom, a fandom that had a lot of feedback into ones that gave less feedback, um, I actually found it very hard. So um, kudos to Anna for to keep making things without feedback. I think it's really going to depend on what you're going for. Like, if you're like me, I am a, I'm an attention hog. <laughs> so uh, I definitely make a big effort, because I mainly do fanfic now, to try and engage in conversation with people who comment on my fanfiction. And I also have, like, a specific tag on my Tumblr where I tag everything related to it. And people have sent in asks there. Um, but I could definitely see how people also would just like to create things and just kind of be in a vacuum because it's that thing of you can get 100, you know, amazing comments and then you get that one bad one that ruins everything. So I think it's very much dependent on the person. Definitely known like people that are okay and actually super enjoy not getting very much feedback just because they feel it's less pressure. So if that's that's how you feel, that's great. Um, and Pudfic fandom is probably the right fandom for you. <laughs> <laughs> or the right fan work for you. The next comment was this about Pudfic and Money episode. It's a casting call center. And I think there's also behind the voice actor... I'm not really sure. Those are not pet at all, but there are audition sites for voice work. And it's all kind of informal, so it can be good maybe if you want to try it out and dip your toes into this particular pool, but don't want high stakes like uh, pet work. The downside is that it's not pet, so... And then... This comment about Teen Wolf. For basically two or three years there in high school, I was massively into Teen Wolf. So um, I'm a prime example of how you can totally be into a fandom, your main fandom, and never have even watched the pilot episode or read one line of the book or anything. But that's what I do with most of my fandoms. However, there's one problem that that raises is that when you just spent two hours recording a podfic and you then, just then, realize that it's not Draco, it's Draco, it's kind of jarring. But now I've learned to use um, YouTube and, oh my gosh, Forvo, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, I think there's a lot of fandoms people can be in so many fandoms at once where people go in and try and make works where they're not a hundred percent familiar with every aspect of the canon and so then you're like crap how do i pronounce that <laughs> and i think that happens even if you do watch it watch the show it maybe happens less but if i think it still happens even if you do watch all of the canon as well as if you don't watch the canon well, yeah, and I've been assigned people for ITPE or things, and it's like, I don't know this fandom. I have no idea who these characters are, but I'm diving in anyway. <laughs> Here's yeah. hoping. They also had this to say about recording. Do you have any tricks for getting rid of clicks? 
A few years ago, I was asking on Twitter, like, guys, the mouth noises are driving me nuts. What do I do? And a lot of people responded, and I did a little bit of research. So I, I do have a post on my Dreamlet about how to avoid mouth noises, uh, things like you know, making sure you're hydrated, drinking a lot of water, making sure you're not positioning your mouth directly in front of the microphone, eating apples, apparently. is It's hypocritical, but it's supposed to help, potentially. So you can check that out. The other, I'm not... A hundred percent of sure if this will work, but Greedy Dancer has a tutorial on Podfic tips about how to get rid of explosions. Like you know when you do like the S and P sounds, and it it's like a huge spike on your timeline, and it might work for mouth clicks. I've never tried it, but you could give it a shot and see. The other thing is if they're quieter mouth clicks, you might be able to use noise gate to get rid of them. But I know for me, there's a certain extent where if like the mouth click happens in the middle of a word, I just like Mm -hmm. either have to live with it, do my best to try and cut that tiny sliver of sand out without it being jarring or hope that I re-recorded the line. And there's also just ounce of prevention type thing. Pop shields, I didn't realize how much of a difference it could actually make until I was recording some Steven Universe things, and one of the main characters' names is Pearl, and I had all all these explosions because of that. And so I got a pop shield and set it up, and it solved everything for me. Um, it's going to depend on the person and how, how you record, but I, I think it does, it warrants experimentation if you're having any sort of problem with your S's or your P's, because it really can reduce it quite dramatically. The other thing is, if you have a strong enough mic for this, just moving it farther away. Mm -hmm. If you have to speak louder, you might need to, or maybe you can adjust the volume later in your sound editing. If your mouth noises are quieter than you're talking, you can maybe get rid of them that way. Yeah, it basically comes down to... You get rid of them before you start recording because I don't know that there's much you can do in Audacity or GarageBand to get rid of them after, except a little bit of noise gate. But yeah, like in our editing for newbies, like that was one of the things that we kept coming back and talking about of just like your setup, like make sure it's as quiet and isolated and consistent as possible. And it's not because like your listeners necessarily care. If you hear the occasional car in the background or they can hear your kitten's bell or whatever, it's more just for you as the person editing this, the cleaner your source material is, it makes it so much easier to edit it later. Anapods also had this recommendation for cover art. Inkscape. It's a software, a free alternative to Adobe Illustrator. GIMP and Photoshop work with pixels and matrices. When uh, Inkscape and Illustrator work with vectors and paths. What is great about Inkscape is that first you can have a lot of elements and have them above, under, move them around, blah, 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 without having to have each of them in one separate layers, because otherwise you always have to cut and paste Another thing that is great is that you can cleanly edit text and stuff like that. Everything that's a block of color, you can cleanly change it 
and play around with the lines. However, you can't really edit pre-existing images more than just cutting it out, and it's kind of shitty with coloring. You can do some great stuff. So if you're doing your own art from scratch, you might still want to stick with Gimp or Photoshop or whatever. But when it comes to putting the different elements of the cover together, I highly recommend trying out Inkscape. So that's all of our talkbacks today. So we're going to jump into the main topic, which is anime fandom. And I don't even know how dated this term is, but like about 10 years ago when I was closer to people that were in anime fandom and I was kind of anime adjacent, one of the terms that we would use to to separate them was like anime fandom and Western media fandom. I don't know if people still use that terminology, but they are fairly different beasts, like in some of their reaction and what they like and and stuff like that from what I've gathered. Again, I've only ever been anime fandom adjacent. But you two have been in anime fandoms. How have you guys found it as compared to like the Western media fandoms that we're a little more familiar with on this podcast? For me, it's a little disjointed in that it was mainly when I was in my teens that I was fairly heavy into anime fandom and reading a lot of anime fanfic. And now that I'm old... I've mainly been doing Western media with some anime in there still. So it's more for me, like I'm looking at different parts of fan history, really, rather than two different types. That's something that I had kind of experienced, too. But again, I'm like super anime adjacent, kind of like mid 2000s to like, you know, maybe 2007 and earlier, like there was so much anime stuff that I just casually came into contact with without even trying. And then it kind of all disappeared for me for a while until Attack on Titan came out. And then suddenly there was like people that I knew were interested in Attack on Titan. They were interested in Free. And now certainly Yuri on Ice has just taken over like everyone I know, it seems. But like there was a, it felt like there was a big lull in there where we kind of, I'm sure anime fandom didn't stop, but we felt a lot more separated at least. I I think probably what it was is as we started actually getting services that, you know, would allow for streaming anime either legally or illegally, and we had the internet capacity to actually do this, we stopped needing so much fanish stuff because we were actually able to get the original stuff rather than like trying to go to your local mall to get the like one VHS tape of Gundam wing that you could find. Uh, Whereas now it's just like, Oh, I want to watch some Gundam wing time to go on to, you know, um, Netflix has an entire section on anime. Like you can just go in and be like, I want to browse the anime section. Yeah. So like, we're not, you know, looking for anything and everything because it's so hard to get stuff, we're actually able to go to the original stuff. Obviously, there is still plenty of fanish content, but it's not its not like this desperation to find any content you can. Yeah, I was definitely, like, hugely obsessed with Sailor Moon as a teenager and some other fandoms, and it was so much work. I remember we still had dial-up internet, and you couldn't, like, this was before MP3s. Like, I remember being hugely excited when MP3s came out. 
we had MIDI files, which probably some yeah. of our younger viewers, because I'm so old. Um, <laughs> MIDI files are like computer generated versions of the song. So they, they don't have voices. They don't sound anything like their real songs, but that used to be the closest we could get. And it would take me like a week to download a MIDI because I'd get about 30% in and then somebody would call and the dial up would disconnect. And <laughs> so like you had to really work to be an anime fan and you had to be really passionate back in the day. And and these kids today don't know how good they have it. <laughs> yeah. And once you download it, you had to store it somewhere because yep. like on my home computer, it was like, oh, you can't just like store things. You have to go out and like get your own uh, floppy disks. And it's like, floppy okay, a, fl a floppy disk will hold like half a song, maybe. <laughs> so it's very difficult. I would actually say that my first like fandom was Sailor Moon. But it was not my first online fandom because we didn't have internet at my home until, like, 2004. We, we No, we had dial-up for a short period before then, but, like, you kind of – we only had one phone line, and you could pry the phone out of my mom's cold, dead hands because she practically lives on the telephone. So it was functionally – we didn't have internet until 2004. So I was like super into anime, but I, or not to anime, I was super into Sailor Moon, but the only way I was able to watch it was when it aired on YTV and it was like mm -hmm. the English dubs and stuff like that. Like that was all I had access to. It was an obsession for me, like fandoms often are, but I didn't have any of the tools to properly obsess about it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, definitely for fan fiction, it's going to be so much easier for you to just download, you know, a 10,000 word fanfic rather than attempt to get music or an episode online back when you had terrible internet. But I feel like, too, beyond that, there is always like a slightly different feel to anime fandom. Like when I did brush into it, like they could be a lot more focused on visual art, which I feel didn't really come about for Western media fandom until Tumblr came along. Not that there wasn't visual art before that, it just, it, it wasn't, like, as commonplace throughout all of Western media fandom as it is now. I was just thinking that also the, the conventions are different. So imagine, like, you're from Japan and you've never seen the Looney Tunes, and somebody turns that on and you're like, why is that rabbit in a dress? And why did that coyote just paint, like, a tunnel that leads nowhere except you really can run through it. What's going on here? And just being so confused about some of the, the conventions and the sight gags. Yeah. And so when Yuri on Ice became a thing, I had a friend who sat down to watch it. It was her very first anime ever. And she's like, this is so weird. Why do their noses bleed when they're turned on? Like, what's going <laughs> on here? And just so many of the sight gags and the tropes are just unfamiliar to people. And maybe that's made anime inaccessible to some people. And also kind of the... The social, definitely, you know, how romance functions in Western media versus in anime. Uh, Western media, I will definitely say, is generally a lot faster. Uh, there's also just how people interact. Uh, I know there was, for some time, some controversy uh, when they were bringing some anime over whenever there would be a scene where a parent would like punch their child on the head, which is a thing that happened a lot in anime. And it was, you know, used as kind of a, not a child abuse thing, but a kind of affectionate motion, but like bringing it over to a Western audience, it was like, you can't 
do that. So uh, a lot of cultural disconnect yeah. as well. I know, like, just to... The Simpsons has been around for seemingly forever. Like, my sister, when she was in Japan, she's she was just really blown of, like, why are so many adults watching cartoons and reading comic books? Those are for children. And it's like, no, you cannot, like, just assume that an anime, because it is a cartoon, <laughs> is no. for a child. Do not okay. do that. No one give Yami no Matsui to a five-year-old. I work in libraries, and I had to very carefully tell the media processor that they needed to reclassify the Cowboy Bebop movie because it should not be in the children's section of the library. (laughs) Well, and I mean, not just like adult content like hentai, but comic books play a much more central role to adults in all aspects of life. So when I was living in Japan, they made a certain change to the tax code. And so all of the government offices and like city hall and the tax office had these little manga explaining like, here's what this new tax law means to you. And it's like this cute little manga about a housewife learning about her new tax law. And it's like pervasive throughout all areas of their life. It's just another way to communicate information. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like probably adults reading comic books would be less shocking now than it was like in 2004 when my sister went to to Japan. Yeah, there there just is a, a lot of cultural differences between, you know, the Western world and Japan in general, or Japan and Asia in general, even. And I'm seeing a little of that uh, coming over, also working in the libraries. Um, I had a book series come in that I think was something along the lines of the Manga Guide to Physics. So it was a physics textbook, but done with, you know, manga style art. And I was wondering, um, it would probably be interesting to think about how much copyright law has shaped the different shapes that fandoms take. So for example, here in like speaking as American, we have these fair use laws. So I can crack a DVD to get footage out for a vid and make a vid. But in Japan, if you are caught pirating, like I was living in a guest house with 30 people over there and we never did figure out who did it, but somebody downloaded a Warner Brothers movie and Warner Brothers Japan notified the ISP who sent us a really nasty letter and said like, if we catch you downloading anything ever again, we're just shutting off your internet. Like that's if you live in Japan, but like the anime industry as a whole was totally okay with North Americans getting access to their work and distributing it online because they didn't have legal sellers in North America. And if there was a big enough attention towards a specific work in the online community, it was more likely that it would get licensed in North America to be translated officially and sold. When I first got into fandom back in early 2000s, um, I actually got in via vids. And like vids were my life. And I actually had a huge amount of anime vids because amv.org was so amazing. Like it was a fan vid archive where you could download like just thousands and thousands of fan vids that never could have happened with Western media fandom at that time. Now there's all this understanding that, yeah, people are going to put fan vids up on YouTube, whatever, just ignore it. But at the time, it was like such a no-no, and vitters were getting sometimes cease and desist letters, but yet the anime fandom had a whole archive 
operating fairly openly and you could just go and download whatever you wanted because the owners of the copyright in Japan knew that it was to their benefit if Western fans discovered their work and possibly could get them a deal to translate it or bring it over officially to North America or the Western worlds. Whereas, like, so Japan, they're really, really strict about what you pirate on the internet, and that'll get you in trouble. But one area that you're legally allowed to do is a dojinshi, which is mm-hmm. fan-made comic books. Um, and the Japanese courts have ruled that downloading a movie or downloading a song is a counterfeit, and that's illegal and it'll get you in trouble. But making your own fan-made comic book counts as parody under Japanese law, so it is legal. So you can go to conventions where it's just like a giant room that is full of comic book artists who have set up tables of like Yuri on Ice comics that they have drawn for themselves and are selling for money. Like these conventions get huge and they can also get really niche. So if you want, you can go find the Dojinchi convention to get yourself some like comic books where all the characters have cat ears and it's like cat ear AUs and just all kinds of random stuff. So Japanese law has shaped their fandom in that direction where I feel like I'm by no means authoritative, but I feel like Japanese fandom has a lot more fan-made comics whereas you're more likely to see a vid out of a Western fandom creator. Yeah, so I feel like these fandoms have flourished where there's a gap in the law that allows them to flourish. And fandoms like that in general, like, fandom definitely does, like, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile sometimes. But if, you know, people have been given inches in different directions, you end up with very different maps. I was also just thinking, and the differences between anime fandom and Western media fandom, also the platform kind of makes a difference. So, you know, think about AO3 versus Tumblr versus Twitter versus LiveJournal. They all have a different feel to them. And as far as I know, and like we're discovering with YouTube, there's, there's whole other communities out there on YouTube and other places that we don't know about. But the biggest fanish archive I know uh, in Japan is Pixiv. And it's, it's kind of like deviant art. So it really was originally made for art. And that's 99% of it. And I've, I've seen some fic there. People do post fic there, but it's really rare. And this, the website's really not set up for it. It's really hard to search for fic. Uh, things aren't tagged like you would expect them to be for fic on AO3, for example. And I've asked a couple of times for permission to pod fic stuff and not gotten a response. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was asking in Japanese. It's not my native language, so I could have been horribly rude. But I also felt really intrusive because this is definitely the kind of website where everybody uses a pseudonym and everybody keeps it locked down. And, you know, you're probably really not going to get a response from people unless you're friends with them already or they know who you are. It's definitely more like the LJ environment where you, you have to follow people and they follow you back in your mutuals and you get to talking and then maybe you'll give them permission to podfic your stuff. Like, there are, as far as I know, no Japanese podfics out there. There's none on AO3 or the Audiofic archive. So I I wonder to what extent that is. Copyright law has shaped culture that way, and then how much platform has shaped fandom that way. But I just thought I'd mention, if you want to know where one of the bigger Japanese Spanish sites is, it's Pixiv. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Pixiv has an English interface. 
Okay. So the website itself, you can turn to English and the settings, but then all the works, like 99% of them are Japanese. So it's maybe not going to get you very far unless you just want to look at the pretty pictures because there's a lot of really awesome fan art there. Now, am I misremembering this or is fan dubbing a thing in anime fandom? To an extent, yes. There's groups for parody and there's groups for actual translation. I feel it was more of a thing back before there was legal anime to be found in North America. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, like, that would be getting you in trouble with copyright law because there's already a legal way to download the dub and you don't have to go with a fan dub. I I guess I was kind of wondering if maybe people that enjoy recording themselves are doing projects other than podfic by doing things like fan dubs. I'll definitely see shorter ones. Like I won't see entire episodes, but I'll have somebody who's like experimenting with their voice reel and trying to do new characters. So they'll maybe do a a minute or two, but finding actual full length things I do not see very often unless it is a parody, something like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged Series or 50% off or something like that. Okay. Um, I know as recently as a couple of years ago, like if a series hadn't legally made it over to North America yet, fans would make fan dubs and then say, well, we're only going to leave this up as long as there's not a legal version you can download. But then if a legal version comes out, we're going to take it down and we want you to, you know, stop spreading it around because we don't get want to get in trouble. Okay. So definitely anime fandom has a lot of differences from Western media fandom. Maybe there is like a secret enclave of anime pod figures that just aren't interacting with us at all. Or maybe they're not doing it in English, so we're not noticing. That would be awesome. And if anyone knows of such things, that would be great. I will bake you cookies wherever in the world you live. I will (laughs) bake cookies and I will ship them to you. Any kind of cookies you like. If you show me where all the Japanese fic is hiding. (laughs) But... When I went to look to see what anime fandoms had more podfic, I went to the audiofic archive, which I know is a little out of date. Certainly, um, Yuri on Ice was in third place on the audiofic archive with 47 podfics, but when I checked on AO3, there was over 120 podfics. But I'm surprised, like, I, I kind of did any fandom that had podfics in the double digits. And there was only 19 of them outside of Yuri on Ice's incorrect numbering on the Audiofic archive. No one went over into triple digits. The highest one on the Audiofic archive was Naruto with 91. Like, Full Metal Alchemist had 68, and those were the only two that had over 50 on the Audiofic archive. The rest had less than 50. Yeah, seven of them didn't even have 20 podfics. And so kind of one of my personal projects for myself has actually been, so I didn't really connect the idea that there was podfic on AO3 until recently, like the early start of the year. So I actually have recently been going through the archive and being like, oh, hey, look, here's like Full Metal Alchemist stuff that I don't have, or here's Yuri on Ice stuff that I don't have. So I've been actually spending a significant amount of time trying to do that. In my personal collection, I think Naruto and Yuri on Ice, there's about the same number of podfics. I've got 137 Naruto, I've got 115 Yuri on Ice, but 
lengthwise, there's twice as much Naruto as Fury on Ice. So Naruto's fix tend to average longer, it seems. I would imagine. Like, when I think of anime podfickers, Opal Song and Rhea are the two that immediately come mm-hmm. to mind. And mm-hmm. Rhea definitely does pull out longer podfics or when they want to. But Opal Song is particularly infamous of doing like, I'm going to do this like 200k anime crossover fandom that probably no one will listen to because it's so obscure in podfic fandom terms. So I know that there's probably some fandoms in this list that if we were judging it by hours worth instead of like (laughs) numbers worth, like it might, like there's probably some that only have like five podfics that could, that would make the top 20 list just because of the length of something Opal Song posted. (laughs) (laughs) And now I just want to see her, the list sorted by Opal Song. Um, (laughs) the longest podfic of hers that i have it's actually a series but i'm gonna mispronounce this seryun hijinks series it is 51 hours long yep so just like that one alone and it is uh, a crossover uh or at least this first one i have listed as a crossover of eska flone fushigi yugi uh kiki's delivery service inuyasha ruhani kenshin and slayers and there's some fairly popular fandoms in there, but just incredibly long for the actual fandoms listed. Yeah, for sure. While we're looking at this list of anime fandoms, there is also like Japanese video game podfic, like Final mm-hmm. Fantasy. I just did a really quick count. I might have counted wrong. And the audiofic archive, there's 50 podfics there. And then things like Ace Attorney, Persona, Kingdom Hearts have as much podfic as a, a lot of anime fandoms. So. Uh, some of the Final Fantasy ones are really cool and, like, epically long, too. And I will say for Kingdom Hearts, I feel like that fandom kind of straddles between anime and Western because it is, you know, made in Japan, but but it's it's using these Disney characters for the most part. So that, it's primarily Western, but made in Japan uh, with this somewhat anime aesthetic there's the difference i guess when we're talking is it anime or do we just want to call it japanese media because i we also have uh, there's not much podfic but there's legend of zelda which is you know mm-hmm. japanese made and it has uh, a manga series which is okay uh, and sometimes good um, <laughs> and, yeah and kingdom hearts also has a manga series which is okay and sometimes good and also with Final Fantasy, yes, definitely primarily Japanese, but with English voice acting. So there's a significant, you know, number of people who don't do any sort of anime or manga stuff, but they do play ev- like every Final Fantasy game. Like uh, some of the things on the anime list here actually started as manga. Uh, like Tokyo Babylon was a complete comic series and I've only read the comic, but at one point it got popular enough that they made like a a two-episode OVA, so just like a a TV special. But I'm not even sure I would really properly classify it as anime because the full story is only in the comics. And so uh, a lot of the Japanese fandoms, it kind of blends over. Is it a video game? Is it an anime? Is it a manga? Is it a light novel? And it can start as one and transition to all of the others and become this big, nutty mess of awesome finished stuff. Like MCU, 
How do you categorize that fandom? (laughs) It's got a little bit of everything. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if maybe part of the reason why there isn't more anime or Japanese media in general, uh, podfic, is if you are an English speaker who's planning on recording an English story and posting it in the circle, like on AO3 or wherever, where our corner of fandom is more likely to run across it, you're probably going to have a few more issues with language and pronunciation than you might have with other fandoms. Because from the little bit that I've experienced it, there's generally a decent amount of like random Japanese in some, not all, but some of the fic in that fandom. Certainly they'll use like Japanese like honorifics when addressing people and whatnot. And sometimes there's like an idea that means something very specific in Japanese that there's no direct English translation for, and people will just include that when they're writing. If you don't speak Japanese, or it's not something that you've heard said that often, or if you're just really bad at repeating, wrapping your your mouth around Japanese words, that could make it more difficult mm-hmm. to record. Um, definitely, I think in uh, Holic fandom, which is XXX Holic, but you pronounce it Holic, they even in the you know english official translations of the the manga they do not translate this one word which is uh hitsuzen and it's it's always that is the word they use and it's kind of like analogous uh to fate or a, you know something like that but they never say oh it's your fate it's like it is hitsuzen inevitability right is yeah. kind of yeah all according to keikaku <laughs> Like, I certainly know when I'm picking out fix to record. Like, I've recently started listening to Star Trek stuff and reading Star Trek fix. And there's so many made-up words that people throw in because of, like, here's a random alien culture or technobabble or whatever that I'm just like, how do you pronounce that? And, like, if it's something that the author just made up, it's not like there's a wrong answer to how to pronounce it. But it's still having those types of words that you just you don't automatically know how to pronounce can make it kind of intimidating to record it i find like switching languages mid-sentence can also be like a bit of a tongue twister so i was recording a little bit of yuri on ice this morning and you know all the characters names and some of the dialogue is in japanese and then like switching between that and english like there's parts where the pronunciation just does not mesh and so you can kind of trip over your tongue a little Yeah, I could see that. And kind of the last topic that we had in the list, and we kind of covered it a little bit during the talkbacks, was the other kinds of audio fan works that exist in anime fandom. Yeah, so I'd mentioned um, a lot of anime will have official drama CDs or image songs where they get the voice actors to do like radio plays or sing in character. Uh, So I know Free had one, Holic had one. Pretty much any of the shoujo, like the the girls-related anime, if it gets popular enough, it'll probably have a drama CD. And also on iTunes, uh, they have audio dramas. You know, it's radio play, so it'll be like 10 episodes of a story with different characters' voices and sound effects. Uh, so if you search in iTunes for audio drama, you can find a lot of those for free. And I've, I've listened to some of those. They're pretty fun. So I don't know if we wanted to put in the show notes or something, 
the the Japanese word audio drama. So you could just copy paste it into iTunes and find some of those to listen to if you wanted. I'll definitely add that. So there's some about like Japanese mythology, and there's one about like a girl who was working at a convenience store but wanted to go to art school and cute ones. And they tend to be like five to ten episodes and short and fun. Now, are there any fan-made things like that that you've run across? No, not based on, I mean, I assume you mean by fan-made, like they're taking a pre-existing TV series or book and using the characters. No, these have all been original stories or based on like folk tales. Okay. I think that's it for this topic. Do we want to move on to Rex? Uh, my first rec is the Yudi Katsuki secret walkthrough slash fact. Uh, it's read by Lunchy and written by Medisync. It is adorable. So it's like this um, forum for people that are playing this dating sim. And they're like, I'm trying to date Yudi Katsuki, but I just can't find the story path that'll let me date him. And so she does all these different voices and sound effects and stuff to like walk you through the game to how you can get to Yudi. Um, and it's adorable. And it's uh, just a really, really fun use of the audio medium because, yeah, it's it's a ch- people chatting on a forum about this video game, and she put in all these sound. It's it's super cute. And my next track was Stargazer by Ria three one four, written by Faye. And this is uh, oh, the first one was also Yuri on Ice, but this is Yuri on Ice as well, and it's an AU. So if you've never seen. Yuri on Ice, but you want like a futuristic space AU. This one is gorgeous, where instead of being about ice skating, it's set in the distant future and they do the nobility have these zero gravity spheres. And so they'll like perform by jumping from wall to wall inside the sphere and doing all these kinds of flips and turns and dancing in zero G. And so it's the Yuri on Ice characters, but playing this sport and getting involved in interplanetary politics. And then there is a sequel called Gravity by Opal Song that deals with um, Yurio and Otabek, who are two of the, it's a minor pairing in, in Yuri on Ice. That's also really good. So, uh, but when it comes to anime fandoms, we've already mentioned, yeah, Ria 314, Opal Song have a lot. And also uh, Revolutionary Joe. The 24th Key have quite a few, so they're good places to start. And so I guess for my recs, um, I do have one that kind of is straddling between anime and Western. Um, So recently on Netflix, uh, there has been a reboot of the Voltron series, which is, uh, it's called Voltron Legendary Defender. now, originally Voltron is was a uh, anime, and you know it was of course brought over and you know dubbed. But now this one is been entirely you know done in English, so it's um so that it has its Japanese roots, but it's more of a Western fandom. This particular thing, um, but my my recommendation for Voltron is called Days of Gladiator Love by Boss Toaster, and it's read by Old Mythologies. And it is a fic where the um, the crew of Voltron managed to stumble across a uh, unlicensed romance novel featuring Shiro, who is their leader. 
And they, of course, buy it and proceed to translate and read it together. And uh, they learn many things about alien biology and alien sexuality. And it is quite entertaining. Um, And so more for definitely Western media, there's two fics um, done by the same group uh, that I want to recommend. And one of which is extremely long and I don't really see it talked about um, because instead of going on the audiofic archive or on AO3 they did it as a podcast and the first fic is a Harry Potter story um, it's called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality and it's written by Eliezer Yudkowsky and read by Eniel's Brodsky it is a reimagining of the Harry Potter series if Harry Potter, instead of being raised by Uncle Vernon, was raised by a scientist. Um, and it gets kind of preachy and, you know, high and mighty, but it's it's pretty funny. And just an interesting look at an alternate universe of Harry Potter. And this story is 67 hours long. And it's actually done by a full cast, so... I think a couple of the voices are done by Inyaz Brodsky, but basically throughout the run of this podcast, uh, he would put up a list of characters and people could claim them and record the lines and send them in. So it's got an enormous cast. Over a hundred people are part of the recording. Um, And they, yeah. And then they, there's a second fic they did. Uh, which just finished recently. It is a Superman story called The Metropolitan Man, um, and that's written by Alexander Wales. And this one has a smaller cast. It looks like it's only around oh, only around like twenty five to thirty people. Only. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's seven and a half hours long. Um, and this one, Metropolitan Man, is um, uh, a closer look at Lex Luthor's thought process as he realizes um, that basically Earth has been invaded by what is basically an all-powerful super being who does not necessarily have higher morality than any other human being, but who is trying to have higher morality. And it apparently gets really uh, pessimistic at certain points. Um, but it is interesting to me, these two stories, because, again, they don't show up in Podfic fandom. They were done as podcasts. And it's, it's another area that just has not connected to what we consider, you know, the Podfic fandom at large. That's awesome. Um, also, I think I need to listen to that Harry Potter one, and my roommate <gasps> needs to listen to the Superman one. So I will pass that along. I have two recs as well. They are not anime at all. Um, They are Star Trek, because that is my new obsession. The first one is You Don't Have to Say Yes. And it was read by R.S. Creighton and written by Luminous Beings. And look, this is a typical Lindsay podfic. It's over 20 hours long. (laughs) And the beginning's pretty depressing. (laughs) It has a happy ending, but, like, I think the description of it was something like, it gets worse before it gets better. So it's 
it definitely comes with a whole host of warnings, like read the tags if you are at all uh, triggery about certain things. Like there's definitely rape and like underage rape and stuff in it. So be careful. But it is a really engaging story. And R.S. Creighton did a really great job. Like it only got posted, I don't know, very recently. And I've already listened to it twice. And it is over 20 hours. And it was posted since the last oral phonic episode. So uh, it's definitely worth the listen. I think the other summary of it was like the abridged sexual history of James T. Kirk. Oh, dear. It's one that starts off on Tarsus 4. And that's how Jim gets screwed up, as is often the case in the in fandom. And he continues to be a bit of a screw-up until... Basically, the first movie and and beyond. It is a Kirk Spock story, although the others are there, and McCoy especially is very close to Kirk in it. Yeah, go listen to it. It's quite enjoyable. And the other one, like I, I had to go and check to see if we had re- wrecked it already on this show because it is just like such a classic and such a Star Trek staple. That even before when I wasn't super into Star Trek, I listened to this podfic so many times I can't even try and guess how many. It's Graduate Vulcan for Fun and Profit, read by Temple Marker and written by Lazuli Song. I'm probably mispronouncing that. I am sorry. Lazuli Song. And I only know that because Steven Universe has Lapis Lazuli. <laughs> Anyways, it's also starts with Tarsus 4. When the rescue ship goes to pick the Tarsus 4 survivors up, there's an old Vulcan on it who had been on the Kelvin, and when he realized that Jim was one of the survivors, he's like, I must repay my debt to Captain Kirk, and I will do so by helping his son in this situation. And so he's trying to help like Jim get over the trauma of Tarsus 4, and he's like, I will try and bribe you by giving you something. If you will get better and stop fighting getting better, I will give you something. And what Kirk asks for is language lessons to learn Vulcan. And then later on, when he does join the Academy, it turns out that that same Vulcan is his Vulcan 101 teacher who is like, why are you here? You are fully fluent, and basically bribes him into writing a thesis on the Vulcan language. And it is just really fun to listen to. There's the way Vulcan as a language is described is really fun. And um, Temple Marker in this podfic is probably the example I go to the absolute most of, you know, someone who does character voices very well matching like the character voices of the canon like there's a lot of people that'll do character voices where they just distinguish the voices from one character to another but um temple marker makes them sound like they do in in the reboot movies and it's a super great podfic like if you haven't listened to it like go listen it's it's amazing so those are my rex So that's our episode. We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.